Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, where we hear from you the true experiences you've had with the paranormal and we try to understand them. Over the years, many people have asked me, have I ever communicated with a famous ghost? Well, only a couple of times, but uh, more of that a little bit later on. I suppose the most reported ones in the UK are the wives of Henry VIII, who allegedly haunt Hampton Court Palace. I was very lucky to live in East Molesey in Surrey um, and my cottage was just a stone's throw from the magnificent palace of Hampton Court and every day I would pass the majestic castle and wonder at all its history, its splendour and of course the tragedy and death. At least two of the king's poor wives are said to haunt the palace, one being his third wife, Jane Seymour, and the second, his fifth wife, Catherine Howard. Jane, or her ghost, has been seen on many occasions walking and gliding, carrying a lit taper up the silver stick stairs. Now, these stairs lead up to the room where Jane died shortly after giving birth to Henry's only son, Edward. The ghost of Catherine Howard uh, would absolutely terrify the most cynical of us. She apparently reenacts her last cries of innocence and screams for help over and over again. The poor young woman was only 19 years old when she was beheaded. Imagine the abject terror and fear that she went through as she was grabbed by Henry's guards in the palace to be taken away and be beheaded. Apparently, she managed to free herself from the guard's grip and ran screaming up the long gallery, which is now referred to as a haunted gallery, allegedly crying out for the king and begging and begging and shouting, help, and begging for his mercy. Even to this day, her anguished cries are heard echoing around the haunted gallery. There are so many haunting tales of Hampton Court, and if you ever go inside the palace... And I really urge you to try and go and visit it. Keep your eyes peeled. You never know who you might see. And that is exactly what my husband Carl and I did when we went to do a recce for our television show, Most Haunted. 
All the while we were there and being shown around, we could both feel tremendous rapping and knocking coming from beneath our feet. Well, we didn't want to say anything to the guide. Uh, They were too busy chatting away, telling us about the history. Um, They weren't bothered. They weren't even concerned. But Carl and I kept looking at each other and holding each other's hands and squeezing each other's hands going, can you feel, as if to say, you know, can you feel that? Letting each other know that we could feel feel this knocking. So obviously we didn't say anything to the guide as they would have thought us completely mad. Um, But we both could hear and feel this energy. And it is my absolute desire that one day we'll be able to investigate inside the palace. I live in hope. There are many sightings of celebrity ghosts and why shouldn't they haunt? After all, they're no different to you or me. Here's a couple of famous ghosts and where they haunt. Marilyn Monroe. Her ghost has been witnessed so many times, particularly in her home where she lived. Jasmine Chiswell from Scotland, who now lives in the deceased actress's home in Brentwood in the Hollywood Hills, reports having witnessed doors opening and closing on their own, people feeling like they're being hugged. And they're hearing weird voices and footsteps. And these strange sounds and happenings are heard every single night, according to Jasmine and her husband. I wonder if this activity is being caused by the ghost of Marilyn, or could it be another spirit from an earlier time, perhaps? Marilyn's ghost has also been seen sitting on a bench at the Hippodrome on the Santa Monica Pier, and apparently in a full-length mirror in Suite 246 at the Roosevelt Hotel. That's Suite 246 at the Roosevelt Hotel, if you fancy booking there. Uh, The ghost of Elvis Presley, the king himself, has been witnessed by countless people, by the ones that believed he died when he did. Oh, conspiracy theories, I do love them. The king's spirit allegedly visits and communicates with his ex-wife, Priscilla Presley according to her, on a regular basis. He haunts all his home in Graceland in Memphis. He's been seen in windows, he's been seen in the kitchen, he's been seen in the jungle room. He's also been seen at the RCA Recording Studios in Memphis. Well, I've just given you two examples of hundreds of celebrity ghosts, but my favourite has to be this one. Of course, it's my hero, John Lennon. What I wouldn't give to see his ghost. Well, Paul McCartney claims that he has been in the presence of his old bandmate a few times. One such occasion was when he, George Harrison and Ringo were recording Free as a Bird in 1995. And Paul recalls, quote, I can't do the accent and I wouldn't even attempt it. There were a lot of strange goings on in the studio, noises that shouldn't have been there and equipment doing all manner of weird things. There was just an overall feeling that John was around. When Paul listened back to the recording they'd just finished, he recalls, quote, We put one of those spoof backward recordings on the end of the single for a laugh to give all those Beatle knots something to do. I think it was the line of a George Formby song. Then we were listening to the finished single in the studio one night and it gets to the end and it goes, Zork, John Lennon, Quark, I swear to God. End quote. I think Paul is definitely a believer. I'm going to have to listen to that track. I wonder if they left the voice anomaly in. And was it John trying to communicate? Let me know which celebrity ghost you'd like to see. And if you could ask them one question, what would it be? 
Well, as I've said, I've encountered a couple of famous ghosts. Alas, not the likes of Henry VIII, Marilyn or Elvis, or sadly Mr Lennon. But nonetheless, my experiences were fascinating and very, very memorable. The first time was when I had the opportunity to investigate the set of Coronation Street. Um, And for our overseas listeners, Coronation Street is a very popular TV show. It's a British institution and it's been showing in uh, Great Britain since 1960. Now, the investigation was a strange experience as we'd never investigated a TV set before, but apparently so many staff and actors were seeing and experiencing ghostly phenomena. One ghost in particular was the actress Pat Phoenix. For years, she played the marvellous character of Elsie Tanner. Her ghost was particularly present in her old dressing room. I remember standing on the corridor that led to her dressing room when suddenly I heard the familiar rapping and knocking noises. Feeling like Velma from Scooby-Doo, I followed the strange rapping sounds along the wall until they stopped on a framed picture. The picture was of the lady herself. I urged her spirit to come forward and show itself, but after much coaxing, alas, the spirit of Pat Phoenix did not come out to play. The second spirit of some notoriety I contacted was that of a young gentleman named George Riley. His tale is a sad one, as at a tender age of 21, he was hanged at HMP Shrewsbury. I think he was one of the last people to be hanged uh, in our country, and that's why his name sort of stands out. Uh, He was hanged uh, for murder. Now, me and my most wanted team were investigating this massive prison and were stood in the exact spot uh, where poor George met his fate. Suddenly, the prop noose began to swing and the knocking phenomena began. Big, loud bangs emanated around the room. I asked the spirit to introduce themselves, which he promptly did. He spelt out his first name and then his surname and then proceeded to tell us of his innocence. I asked him, well, if you didn't commit the crime, do you know who did? The tapping came back as a resounding yes. And then he began to tap out the identity of the real murderer. Was George trying to tell us of his innocence? I think so. But as to the true identity of the murderer, my lips and always will be sealed. This week's story is from Matt H, who experienced a lot of occurrences in their flat in Exmouth, Devon. Hi, Yvette. So, um, just to tell you about the house that, or the flat that we lived in for six years um, in Exmouth, in Devon, um, which we found to be really kind of weird and probably haunted. Um, the building, building itself is uh, right in the centre of town and was part of the substantial Victorian development uh, that took place in Exmouth during that period. Um, the building originally consisted of two shops, uh, one at the front on Roll Street and a now partly demolished section to the rear. Our flat was on the top floor of a three-storey three building. Um, to get in, you had to walk through the estate agent's front door uh, and into a side corridor with stairs, uh, then going up three flights to our, our place. The corridor dog-legged under the stairs and back to a small kitchen which formed part of the original uh, shop building at the back. That area I always found quite spooky. Um, My job at the time meant that I left for work really early uh, and I could always feel like someone was watching me from the corridor when I'd either come home or leave. Um, The longer this went on, uh, the more I felt it was a female um, and often got the name Liz in my mind. 
Um, I mentioned this to the ladies that worked in the estate agents, and, and they were quite shocked that I seemed to know anything about it. It turned out the demolished building at the back uh, used to be owned by a woman called Elizabeth, um, and they had seen and felt her in the, in the front office for years. She'd open doors, move files, and weirdly seemingly tidy up for them. Um, as time went on, I started seeing this woman's face peeking around the dog leg in the corridor when I'd get home late or was, or was heading out. It kind of got to the point where I'd just be saying like, Hi Liz, hope you're okay. And she genuinely felt like a lovely presence in the building. Then we have Frank. Frank was the name that we gave to the Shadow Man um, that both myself and my wife regularly saw over the years that we lived there. Um, my wife is an open-minded skeptic, but after years um, of Frank, even she had to admit things were not always as they seemed. Frank would often stand in our little hallway, which meant that you could see or feel him from basically any room in the flat. Often I'd be washing up in the kitchen and see him through the gap in the kitchen door uh, or, or the reflection on the kitchen window opposite, which freaked me out more than once. Um, a large man-sized black mass just standing just out from the door frame, watching you. He also developed this habit of thudding up the stairs to the flat, opening the door as if it was one of us coming home, and then there being nobody there. So we just assumed it was Frank being annoying. And that was really common. It happened all the time, like eight, ten times a week. And it was impossible for anyone to come up, anyone real to come up those stairs, because you'd have to set off the estate agent's alarm system when you came through the front door which you'd easily hear beeping, echoing up the stairs if that happened. Our cats used to stare at empty doorways as if someone was stood there watching us. It was all very, very creepy. After about a year or so of us being there, he developed a habit of tossing forks and pans from one side of the kitchen to the other. And these aren't simple drops to the floor caused by vibrations from passing traffic. This was literally five, ten feet across the room hurling that we just couldn't blame on the cats either because they'd be safely nestled up on the sofa with us. My wife also recalls, this was the weirdest one in the early days, she recalls cleaning in the bathroom and she turned to see the handle of the bucket that she was using lift up by itself and flip over, but really slowly. And that freaked her out. And I think that point, even she had to admit that there was something very, very odd happening in the flat. Um, one of the weirder things that happened there was on one occasion we were stood in the doorway to our bedroom both cats stood at our feet and the youngest cat started watching something on the ceiling and as we all looked up we saw a really bright ball of light moving across the ceiling to the door frame and then disappear into the seat into the roof now that part of the house doesn't get any ex external light sources not like that or certainly not that would cause a small ball of light to appear we mentioned this to the agents downstairs maybe a week later and they then decided to tell us, oh yes, we never mentioned to you that the lady who lived there before had passed away and they'd not found her for several days. I've mentioned that we'd been living there for about four years by this point, so we kind of wish that they'd told us earlier. Um, by the time we were starting to look for our first house anyway, and while Frank seemed to be fading away, this elderly lady seemed to be making her presence known, whether that was because we now knew that she was there. Aside from the lights, we started getting very pronounced handprints appearing on our lounge window. Now remember, this is on the top floor, so certainly wasn't caused by cheeky folk passing by outside. We'd wiped them off, 
make sure there was nothing left because watching paranormal shows you kind of know to think about these things and yet an hour or so later they'd be back but in a different area or in the same place but in really odd unnatural angles and they definitely weren't our handprints because they were long bony looking fingerprints bent at really bizarre angles that we could simply couldn't copy this rolled on for the last few months before we moved out since then we've touch wood thankfully never been visited by any spirits in our new house which is in itself over 200 years old um, and as someone who is quite sensitive to these things I can tell you the piece here is lovely thanks for listening Matt oh my god what a fascinating experience and really scary I can't believe that you stayed in that flat all that time it's interesting isn't it you can always tell when a ghost in your house is inquisitive Elizabeth and Frank obviously liked you and your wife although Frank did sound like he was getting a tad frustrated hence the throwing of the pots and cutlery I think that was more of a I'm definitely here you know more to your wife perhaps the handprints absolutely astound me. And we have talked about handprints being left in flour or dust. I think that was um, some episodes quite a while back. I wonder if the elderly lady suffered with Dupuytons or severe arthritis. That's my thinking, because that could explain the odd angles of the bones of her fingers. If you did take any pictures, Matt, please send them. They sound absolutely fascinating. Uh, Those images really do. We'd love to see them if you did. Welcome to Mum's the Word, a brand new parenting podcast with me, Ashley James. Pregnancy, piles and all the other problems that come with parenting. I'm not going to be sugarcoating anything. It's all about truths, taboos and of course celebrating the amazing highs too. Each week I'll be talking about the journey of being a mum. For me it's my first time so I'll have some celebs and experts and you guys to help join me and hopefully figure out what on earth I'm meant to be doing. It's a podcast for all the parents out there, our very own little club. Hit follow now so you don't miss an episode. Mum's the Word, the parenting podcast with me, Ashley James. Coming soon. It's the best parenting podcast out there. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Can you imagine me reading something really spooky and then having to go and do some sort of Ouija board in a cellar where someone was murdered? No, I would be really, really just a mess. So I don't tend to read or watch anything like that. But there is a brand new book out called The Spirit Engineer, uh, which is a historical novel and it's based on the true accounts of engineer William Jackson Crawford and a famous medium of her time, Kathleen uh, Golliher, I think I pronounced that correctly. Now, the author also brings in some very famous characters from real life. After all, that's what we're talking about today, isn't it? Famous spirits. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and, of course, Houdini. It's a gothic thriller bringing science and paranormal minds together with lots of twists and turns. And I'm absolutely delighted to have with me the author, AJ West, who's here to tell us some spine-chilling tales that brought him uh, to write the book. Welcome, AJ. Thank you very much for having me on. And, and just to say, it is, um, well, I say I say Golliger. Golliger. Yeah, it's, what we think is that actually their name was Gallagher, but when someone was asked to write it down, they maybe weren't fully literate. And so they wrote it the way they said it in their thick Belfast accent and it came out as Gollagher. Ah, Gollagher. Okay. Well, I won't forget that now. Gollagher. So tell us, how <laughs> did, tell us everything because me and you have been chatting, haven't we, on Instagram. That's how we kind of met. Um, and just tell us how it came about, the whole, you writing this book, where the ideas came from. You know, you sort of touched on it a little bit privately with myself, but everybody out there, you know, will want to know. Well, I was living and working in Belfast at the time. This was in about 2016. And I was reading Harry Houdini's memoirs, A Magician Among the Spirits, which if you haven't read, I mean, you just have to. It's fascinating. And it's it's about the the world famous debunker of uh, spiritualist mediums going around the world and um, supposedly catching them out in their tricks. And he's quite, uh, I, I, I found Houdini slightly obnoxious in his accounts, I have to say, <laughs> but um, he, he tells his story with, with, uh, with wit and with such an energy that you would imagine from, from such a famous uh, inventive man. Um, and about, I think it was page 169, he just mentioned in passing a Dr. Crawford who had been studying a spiritual medium called Kathleen Golliger who was 16 at the time. This was back in 1914 up until 1920. And um, alas, he had taken his own life on Picky Rocks in Bangor in, New, in, in Northern Ireland. And Houdini said, this is proof that he found out that he had been fooled for six years by Kathleen Golliger. Whereas Arthur Conan Doyle, 
um, said, no, 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 this was the professor's last greatest experiment. And indeed, his investigations stand. So my book takes inspiration from that story. But it's incredible that it's been almost completely forgotten, certainly in popular culture, when when they really were world famous. That's extraordinary. Um, but have you had you always been interested in spiritualism and mediums and ghosts and things for you to actually read Houdini? Or were you just interested in, in magic? I've always loved magic. I've always wanted to see a ghost and never have. I've always wanted to believe in ghosts. And I have to say, Yvette, I kind of can't at the moment, but I want to, you know? I, I don't know if you have many listeners who feel that way. I, I, I have grown up with a great love for ghost stories and for other people telling me about seeing ghosts. I used to, when I was a kid, I used to love going to Warwick Castle because that was meant to be haunted in various towers and in various rooms. And I would stand there kind of with my eyes closed, hoping when I opened them, I would see a ghost. And I, I never have. So, you know, that's where I am right now. But I will say the process of writing this book um, has brought into my life certain coincidences and strange happenings and goings on. And some of the people who've read the book have reported unusual sounds let's say and sensations while they've been reading it and I'm not just saying that for PR that genuinely <laughs> that genuinely is that genuinely is the case oh uh, wow so people are so people are while they're reading it are explaining things that cannot be explained normally so you know paranormal but you know from like somebody like yourself who's skeptical you don't always jump do you and that's the best way to be to a paranormal explanation you're thinking well what on earth could this be i'm reading a book about it and most the you know logical thinkers will say well that's just your subconscious you know you're imagining things now because you're obviously you know it's a spooky story it's a thrill you've got twists and turns in there or are they really experiencing something otherworldly what do you think I, I don't know. I mean, I've, they've, I've been sent some videos of people who are doing, you know, kind of Instagram lives and things and doors have been opening in the background. There've been bumps. There've been a lot of lamps falling off tables when I was in the middle of doing actually a couple of talks on two separate occasions for no apparent reason. The lamp would slide off behind, you know, the ring light thing when you're trying to look pretty on, on, on lives. It just slid backwards off the table for, for no apparent reason. And I, I was in the London Library. I don't know if anyone's been. I don't know if you've been. It's an amazing place. Um, and it's got these big dark towers. They reach right up into the sky and you get to the very heavens of this building into these almost attic rooms, really, where it's really gloomy. And you have to hold your shoulders up by your ears just to get between these long bookshelves where these dusty tomes have been there for, you know, over a century. And I got completely lost trying to find actually books about the artist Walter Sickert, nothing to do with William Jackson Crawford. I turned around at the top of the stairs totally no idea where I was going because I'd never it was my first visit tripped on my own shoelaces and found myself I looked up none of my friends who are skeptical believe this is true but I swear on my life it is true it's on my Instagram you can see the post I made when it happened I looked up and William Jackson Crawford's three books were sitting there spying out with the gold writing glinting at me through the dusk and it was just it was one of the many moments where I've thought there's something about this book that has called to me from the beginning it found me this story and I have felt on various occasions, I, it's not been easy writing it, Yvette. I haven't had much money. I've been through a really tough time, actually, over the last kind of few years of my life. But at the darkest moments, this is the story that, that found me and, and pulled me through. And I feel as though in some weird way, it's, it's kind of lived with me. Okay, so I'm going to put this out there. What if 
and I'm a, well, you know, I'm a complete believer in this. What if William is aware of this book from the other plane and is actually helping or helped you to write it in a way subconsciously? You weren't aware of what was going on, but maybe just putting the odd little idea in your head. And maybe what's happening is, you know, his spirit is, is, enjoying the book as it were and he's enjoying what you're doing and he's sort of there and the fact that you're bringing his name out to the world and let's face it there'll be an awful lot of people that won't have a clue who these people are but yet you know they were well respected in their field and their day you know you have Sir Arthur Conan Doyle going out to to you know talk to him and this medium at the time you know Houdini I mean we know that you know during the spiritualist movement it was a it was a huge deal wasn't it for these people to go out and you know either debunk or say oh my god this you know this is real so maybe William is is sort of like pushing you on what do you think to that well I you know when I think about that and I have thought about it actually I get um I get a bit emotional actually of it because I feel I feel a huge responsibility to this man who died in the most tragic circumstances and who was, by his own admission in his his final letters, um, mentally very poorly and physically quite unwell too. I've, I've tried to be honest about my representation of a man who was flawed in his own time and a very much a man of his own time, you know, a time when you know, there was a lot of chauvinism around. And But I, but I, hope, I hope if William is aware of the story that he does take proud take pride as you say in the fact that his fame and his notoriety and the impact that he had in his lifetime is still being uh, observed so what just just very quickly you know we've talked about the, the kind of gist of of what the book's about but do you want to sort of expand on that a little bit so that you know we can entice the listeners now to rush out to the bookshops and go and get I'm not saying sell it but you know Tell us a little bit more about it. What's the main sort of crooks behind it? What's the story about these two people? So, as I say, I, I, you know, um, Houdini said William was tricked. He was fooled for six years. And Conan Doyle said, absolutely not. This guy was right. And it was his last greatest, greatest experiment. And I wanted to explore that. So it's a mystery. Um, as the reader, you follow William through his experiments and through his life for six years and you meet his family. And there are various mysteries that unfold through the book. There is a an absolute banger of a twist at the end. So I dare you to guess what the solution is um, to the various mysteries. Um, but it's also the story of a a man of his time and a young woman of her time. And the question that I want to pose to the reader, I suppose, is, you know, if if someone is if someone is abusing their power, who is that? Is it the middle class older professor who's abusing his social power to um, carry out experiments on a 16 year old uh, woman or girl? Or is it the 16-year-old woman or girl who's abusing her power as a, a spiritual medium um, over a guy who is, you know, suffering mentally and might be quite credulous? Um, and I think that's actually, don't you think that kind of goes to the heart, actually, of the conversation we're still having now about spiritualism and spiritual mediumship, which is, you know, is someone, is someone being fooled here? And if so, who? 
you know, and I found I found that fascinating. Well, I it's really strange, AJ, because I actually know what that feels like, and I I know I've touched on it before on the uh, previous um, episodes on the podcast, but it's absolutely soul destroying when you put all your faith and trust um, into a psychic or, or, or a medium, and I've I've done it many times, and to me. It was like someone had plunged a knife right in my heart and it took me a very, very, very long time to trust anybody like that again. And I spent a long time um, listening to these people, working with them, believing everything that they were saying. And it changed my outlook on, you know, the spiritualist side of work. And I was really getting into it and meditating myself and and it actually felt like some somebody had been unfaithful, you know, like a husband or a wife had been unfaithful or a best friend had stabbed me in the back. And it, it, it took me a long time to get over that. It really, really did. So if it really was a 16-year-old girl taking advantage of William, then it must have just blown his whole world apart. It must have been absolutely devastating for him. I think I think it was. I, 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 my personal belief is that that is probably what happened. Now, you know, Harry Houdini would say himself that just because a spiritual medium has been caught playing tricks doesn't necessarily mean that they don't absolutely believe or have spiritualist powers. It's just that they feel perhaps sometimes pressure to perform or pressure to add some theatre to the reality to make it more interesting or exciting or worthy of people's time. But Kathleen Kathleen was um, investigated by Fournier, a, a spiritualist investigator who had just come back from Paris where he'd investigated the famous spiritualist medium Ava C, who was one of the first to manifest ectoplasm, which was quite a new thing then. I've still never seen any this ectoplasm. I would love to see some ectoplasm, wouldn't you? Well, William Jackson Crawford was absolutely certain that he had found evidence of them and had indeed photographed ectoplasm in great detail. Now, you know, looking back from now, it's hard to see how he could think it wasn't cheesecloth. But, you know, that's what he believed it was at the time. And there's photographic evidence of it, which I've seen in the Cambridge Manuscripts. Um, archive. But Fournier, who investigated um, Kathleen quite quickly, found that she was lifting things with her free feet and that other members of the Golliger family were involved too. Um, But she continued as a spiritual medium for a while after that um, and then stopped when she was in her 30s. And what, what I find really interesting with the true story, and here's the mystery, I think, for me with the true story, is not just what happened to William, but why when Kathleen reached her early 30s it was, did she completely and utterly cease not only all mediumship, but all mention of spiritualism at all, even to the point where even in her dying days, there was n- she, she uttered nothing about the spirits, nothing about the afterlife. The only remnant of her past life and her past international fame, after all, I mean, imagine, imagine being able to say, I was, I was Arthur Conan Doyle's number one whiter than white spiritual medium. I mean, that's quite a claim, but she never mentioned it. The only remnant was that she called her house, wherever she lived, Nakoma, which was the name of her spirit guide. But even her children and grandchildren knew nothing. That's a mystery and a half. Is it, is it, was it, is it, is it, was it? I can't speak, I'm so dumbfounded. But it, could it be that she was, she was riddled with, I'm just thinking, I'm looking at two sides of it. Was it the negative side where she was riddled with guilt, especially what, you know, what happened to William and therefore didn't want to, you know, 
felt responsible for what had happened to him and, you know, wanted to shut it out, knowing there was an afterlife and perhaps thought, oh, you know, in those days, everybody was a lot more religious than they are now and didn't want to, you know, go to the darker depths of, you know, hell, perhaps. Uh, the positive side is this, that she felt that she'd done enough um, and William's death was, you know, she was secretly incredibly upset and grief stricken by the whole experience and just had had enough and wanted to wipe it out of her memory do you think i it's we will never know and i i've actually been in contact and i mean in contact in the earthly realm with her granddaughter who knew her as an extremely kind loving um quite self-effacing humble woman who had a strong mind you know knew her principles knew what she stood for in life but um, was not someone you would think would put herself in a position such as being a medium and holding court. I, what I find interesting is that when Kathleen was a very young woman, a, a child really, um, certainly by today's standards, when she was you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, she was a blouse cutter in a poor part of Belfast in a large family, an itinerant family. And it, it must have been quite a thing to find yourself at that age sitting with your social superiors um, male and female, holding court, really. Um, and I just wonder if maybe when she had her own children, when she got a bit older, the, the appeal was lost or she had a new perspective on her mediumship, whether, whether, she, whether she felt that she was genuinely able to speak to spirits or not. Either way, she might have just thought, that's something that I've done when I was a younger woman and it's not something I want to do anymore. But I do think it's interesting that she effectively chose to, and I'm using my own wording here, but she effectively chose to protect her her, her children and grandchildren from her past by not by taking it to the grave effectively. Absolutely fascinating. I really can't wait to to read the book. Now, we just touched, obviously, Houdini, you know, absolutely intriguing, uh, wonderful uh, character in real life. And, I mean, his his whole, uh, you know, story of his life is, I mean, people have made movies about it, there's been books about it. And I think he said, and you probably, obviously, you'll know more about this because you've done a lot more research than I have because of your book. But did he say that on Halloween or something or on the, on the, on the anniversary of either his birthday or his death, he was going to show himself uh, at a cert- on a certain day and a certain time or something? And for many years after his death, um, sort of friends and family would sort of get together and do a Ouija board and sort of call upon him. But he never, ever, so far, as far as I know, has never, ever come through to anybody. <laughs> it's been a complete disappointment because he really, but he sort of wanted to believe in it all, didn't he? He did. I mean, you know, Harry Houdini was Harry Houdini because he was one of the greatest, in fact, still is one of the greatest showmen, show people of all time. And so I think there's an element of stagecraft there in, in making that prediction but he gave a secret code word to his wife and said I will come back and it will be this code word and she never told anyone what the code word was so we we do not know we do not know to this day what it was and it was strictly between the two of them so she was really the last person who could have absolutely proved that it was that it was Harry Houdini coming through from the other side but Harry Houdini first started out Um, having such an interest in spiritual mediumship because he absolutely adored his mother and he grieved her with such power and intensity 
that it 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 kind of ruled his heart for a long time. Um, that's as far as I can see, just in the way he writes about it, you can tell this is a man who misses his mother so, so, so much that when he put his trust, as you were talking about so beautifully earlier, when he put his trust in a fraudulent medium and he, being the world's greatest magician, quite quickly saw through the, the parlor tricks that were being carried out and exposed them, he was so devastated that his trust had been abused, that that became then the battery power for the second half of his life and his career, which really, you know, the magic, the handcuffs, the hiding himself in barrels and dipping himself upside down in water tanks disappeared. And he became obsessed with um, exposing spiritual mediums who were who were um, carrying out, you know, fake mediumship. So, um, you know, I think I find I find that fascinating too, and I think if I can transpose that over to William, the the, the question I asked myself as a novelist is what was what was William Jackson Crawford's actual reason for for becoming so obsessed with this particular spiritual medium? And there are certain feminist writers who say, well, it was probably something sexual, um, and I, I I personally don't see quite enough evidence for that, although some of his experiments were sexually inappropriate by today's standards, without any doubt. Um, but I, I just, I, and I still don't, Evette, I would love him to come through right now and tell me because I would love to know from his point of view, the true story. I'm very careful in my novel, actually. I, I don't know about you. I'm not keen on stories that don't actually give you an ending and a conclusion. So mine absolutely does. I hate it when the, the author just says, oh, you make it up. <laughs> um, oh, I, yes, me too. But, I, 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 I get like, so I'm frustrated like, no, 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 with that. You've, you've told me this story. Now you need to tell me how it ends because otherwise I've wasted 400 pages. So it absolutely does end with things wrapped up. But it, it also, and I thought this was really important because it's not for me to tell people what to believe. It also leaves space for the reader to bring their own knowledge and their own experience of the supernatural to it and to come up with their own ideas as to what people's motivations were. That's perfect. And that, that to me is really, really important. It's what I try to do when we film our investigations. It's that, you know, well, what do you think? We, all we're doing is reporting what we're capturing, but you make up your own mind. You let me know what you think we've captured do you believe it? Don't you believe it? And have you had anything similar happen to yourself? I, I think that's really, really important. But going back um, uh, to the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that when people were reading the books um, and, and things were happening, you know, of a paranormal nature, um, and you mentioned that when you've been doing your book tours, this sort of lamps have been falling over. And, um, and so, so I wonder, I don't know, I wonder what's going on. So if people are buying the books, and they're opening the books and they're reading the books. What's happening there then? Like I said before, do you think, and I know you probably do, it must be that subconscious, you know, and it's just it's just a coincidence that a door opens and closes on its own. Because, you know, or what is it? Is it, is it the book? Are there the words? Is it the energy that your words are creating? You know, I'm a huge believer in energy. And, and, and what we create, you know, we're putting into the atmosphere. And I just, I, I, I think that's absolutely fascinating. Unless, like, you know, unless people are making it up and, uh, you know, and like you say, it's not a PR stunt. So what is going on? Well, a good ghost story. I love reading ghost stories by M.R. James and E.F. Benson and some of the greats, you know. 
um, Agatha Christie as well, in fact. Um, and when they when they're told really well and they set an atmosphere, and I'm really pleased to say people who've read my book have said they absolutely feel as though they're in um, uh, Edwardian Belfast when they're reading the book, which is just such a lovely compliment for a historical fiction author. But I, I suppose when you're in that atmosphere, it might make you hypersensitive, but it does seem to be more than that. I mean, there's, it seems to be happening and I'm not going to say where, cause I don't, I don't kind of want to suggest it to people cause I think that might ruin the book, but uh, there's a certain point in the book after the first hundred pages or so, let's just say it picks up a bit. And there's a certain point in the book where people are reporting certain things starting to happen. And it's at a point when William, who's the narrator, maybe gets in a little bit over his head about with things. Uh, I don't want to say too much, no spoilers, but there is a particular point anyway where, where these bumps and noises and flickering lamps and things seem to be happening. And I do find it... It makes me feel a bit creepy, actually. But having spent three years researching and writing the book, as I say, I, st I started off by ignoring little phenomena, little things happening. But as time has gone on, I'm, I'm starting to wonder. I, you, this will probably be edited out by your by your wonderful producer, but we haven't mentioned that we had to stop recording halfway through this interview because I was going to say, yeah. Got, <laughs> Something interfered with our recording. And honestly, Yvette, every single... I've done Radio 2, I've done Channel 5, I've done interviews with journalists, and now I'm talking to you, which is fantastic, by the way. Every time I do anything, there seems to be just something that gets involved and causes complications. Do you know, it's, it, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. We've done lots and lots of these paranormal activity shows, and this is the first time that the whole system crashed and we had to go back and, and do the interview again. But the other, I mean, and I've never talked about this before because I always find it really embarrassing. I was interviewed by on the Jonathan Ross show, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm sat there. We've got a live audience. He's he's interviewing me. You know, he has a desk and he's interviewing me. And the knocking, rapping phenomena started happening underneath my feet. And it was it was loud. So my husband and my friend who'd come along, they were sort of stood in the green room. You could actually hear it as I'm talking. And they could hear it because they knew what it was because we were used to it. But I daren't say anything can you imagine what a loon I would have? Can you imagine? Oh, she, oh, she's lost the plot. She's just, oh, she's crazy. She's going to be seeing lizard people soon. So you don't say anything because you think it sounds insane. But you know all about this. So, I mean, this the, the, the first cases of the knocking and rapping phenomena go back to the Fox sisters. But we're finding that this is happening in a lot of places where we go. And it can get to such a point where Carl and I are going to a restaurant and the table will start jumping up and down and the knives and forks will start clattering and the, the knocking phenomena begins. And it's it's like, whoa, oh my God, wow. So something is going on and I think something's going on with your book and I think it is connected to the lovely William Jackson Crawford. And there's definitely something going on with Kathleen. It's almost like they, I don't know, continued work. There is life after death. Yeah. Just tell us the title of the book, um, who it's published by and where we can get it. Uh, the title of the book is The Spirit Engineer. 
It is by me, AJ West author. I'd also absolutely love it. I'm very talky and very chatty on direct messages. So do feel free to follow me on at AJ West author on Instagram. I'm also on uh, Twitter and Facebook, same name. And you can buy my book from any of the big bookshops and quite a few of the small ones. I, I hate to mention the online one, but it is on there too. Um, so yeah, uh, my book is everywhere. If you're, if you're there for it, it's, uh, um, it's doing really well. And for a debut author with a relatively small publisher, it's really kind of punching above its weight. So maybe there are some spirits out there um, putting it into people's hearts to buy it as well. I'd like to think that too. I should say just very, very quickly, I was staying a week ago in the state, I think it's called the Station Inn, the Railway Inn, the Station Inn in Dudley, the most haunted hotel in the world. Oh, good grief. Yes. Was- Allegedly, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I, was staying, I was staying there before and I thought of you then. And then, you know, a couple of days later, up you popped on my direct messages and we were back in touch and now we're doing this interview. So there's just one final strange coincidence. There you go. And we, we shall definitely keep in touch. And don't forget, I want a signed copy of The Spirit Engineer, please. I don't know if I want to read it, though. Not in a negative way, but I don't want to poo my pants and I don't want to get to page 100 and something and stop. Don't say that. Well, no, because I, I already have weird stuff going on. Maybe <laughs> I could I could take your – what I might do is I'll take my new book, your new book, and go to a haunted location yeah. and read them both there Read a, read a little chapter of each book and see if we capture anything because that would be really good. Even better, why don't we both go and I'll read a chapter of your book and you read a chapter of mine and we see what happens. Yes, that's a great idea. Look how that came together. We'll organise that private message. We'll do that, definitely. That's a really yes. good idea. Let's do it. All right, lots of love, AJ, and we'll speak soon. You too. Lots of love, everyone. Bye-bye. Well, thank you for listening to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding. If you could talk to a dead celebrity, who would it be? Let us know by sending us in a voice note. We'll be back at the same time, same place next week. Stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. We want to hear from you. Send in an audio clip telling us your paranormal stories to this address, paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. That's paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. We're also on WhatsApp as well, and you can send your voice notes into this number, 075-999-27537, And we're also on Instagram, and the address is at Paranormal Activity Pod. Remember, things aren't always as they seem. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.